Okay, there we go. All right, Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse number 11. We are continuing our series this summer called Bible Answers for Life's Questions. This is the fourth and final part of answering a question that was asked, how do I study the Bible so I can understand it? Well, this is the last of four parts. The title of the lesson today is Application. Last week we talked about interpretation. What is God saying? Today we're going to talk about application. And that is, what is God saying to me? That's ultimately what's most important. Hebrews 5, verse number 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So, when we approach the topic of how do I read the Bible and study the Bible and then know how to apply it to my life, I've got a major decision to make in my life. How can I study the Bible and get an answer from God out of the Bible that I can be confident when I make my decision that I'm doing what God tells me to do? Am I sure this is what God is saying to me? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's start, first of all, with some basic principles. Number one, the principle of spiritual growth. I want you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. The writer of Hebrews says, we've got a lot to say about this topic we've just finished talking about. However, it's hard for me to explain it to you because you are slow to learn. In other words, you're not getting it. You're not learning. Now, I personally think that it was probably the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews. The book doesn't tell us who wrote it, so we don't know. I personally think it was him. Whether it was or not, it's still God that, that gave the words that were penned here. However, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he didn't mince words. He was pretty straightforward. I mean, he, he, he was pretty much a man's man when it came to standing for the truth of the Scripture. And whoever it was, Paul or whoever, they're pretty straightforward here. And what he's doing is he's talking to a group of Jewish believers. And he says, you ought by now to be at a place in your spiritual growth where you are mature enough to be able to teach other people. And the truth of the matter is, you're still so immature as a Christian, you need somebody to teach you the basics all over again. Now, please understand, this is not a compliment. This is an indictment on a group of believers who have not matured spiritually. They haven't grown. Now, that's very common. There are a lot of reasons for that. We don't have time to go into all that. But I want you and I to understand, first of all today, the principle of spiritual growth in the Scripture. The day you and I got saved, God began a process called progressive sanctification. What that means is, Every day of our life, God is making us more and more like the character of Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That, by the way, is how we measure spiritual maturity. Am I more in my character like Christ today than I was five years ago or ten years ago? 
Am I more like Christ in my character today than I was two months ago? Or am I worse than I was before? And that's possible. We're going to look at several things. But let me give you, first of all, um, some verses here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says that we are to desire the sincere milk of the Word so we can grow thereby. So there is this principle of spiritual growth that begins with milk, so to speak. Easy spiritual truth to digest. We'll talk about what that is in just a second. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 20, the Bible talks about the Great Commission. And in there, it talks about the fact that the Great Commission is we make disciples, we win people to Christ, they get baptized, then we are to teach them to obey what God has taught us to obey. One of the things that in my lunch the other day with Dr. Carney that he mentioned that I was telling somebody earlier, I've studied and preached and taught that passage for years, and it never really hit me. Do you know what my job is as a teacher of the Bible? It is to teach others what God has taught me. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey all the things I have commanded you. How can I teach others if God's not teaching me anything? So, Matthew 28, 20, this principle of growth in teaching. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Hold your finger in Hebrews 5. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because Paul deals with this in his letter to the church at Corinth. Now, hopefully everybody knows, the church at Corinth was not the model church. I mean, they had all kinds of problems. As a matter of fact, the letter of 1 Corinthians was written in order to address a lot of these issues that they were having, things that, that they were doing wrong. I want you to see, ultimately, the reason why they were having all these issues. Paul deals with it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says brothers. Notice he's talking to believers. He calls them brothers. Referring to their relationship with him in the Lord. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? That phrase, mere men, in the Greek is the phrase that refers to the natural man or an unsaved person. Literally, Paul says, you're believers, but you're acting like babies and literally the characteristics of your, of your life are the same as an unsaved person. You claim the name of Christ, but you live your life just like a lost person. Outwardly, the things you do, you're acting just like lost people do. What is the problem? The problem is a lack of spiritual growth. Notice what he says. Verse 1, I couldn't speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. Three times he mentions the term Worldly. And he equates it in verse 1 is that is the reason why you are still a baby Christian. Do you remember the story 
of the sower and the seed that Jesus told and the three kinds of ground that the seed was sown on? Remember when He sowed the seed on the thorny ground and the thorns sprung up and choked it so it did not bear fruit in their life? What was the analogy? What was it, spiritually speaking, that the thorny vines represent? The cares of this world. That's why James says you can't be a friend of God and a friend of the world. Here's what causes most born-again believers to never grow spiritually. We spend more time developing our worldly, fleshly ambitions and desires than we ever do our spiritual character. It is the cares of this world that choke out everything that helps us grow spiritually. Great practical examples. Why do people not come to church? Too tired, going on vacation, got things to do. I've been working hard all week. I, 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 just, I just can't do it. What is that? It's the cares of this world. Choking out the very thing God set up to help us grow. Why do we struggle? And we all do. Why do we struggle with daily prayer and Bible reading time? What happens? We get up. And life starts. And the cares of this life choke that out. I used to tell my salespeople, whenever you start your day, if you've got sales calls to make, if you ever start your day by looking at your email, you're dead in the water. You'll never get out of your office. You look at email at the end of the day to prepare for the next day. Don't look at it at the beginning. You'll never get out of there. What happens to us? We get up in the, in the morning and we start our day. That's why I believe one of the most practical times for you and I to have personal time alone, praying and reading our Bible or talking to God, is either first thing in the morning or the last thing at night. Because if you wait and try and do it after the day gets going, or in the middle of the day while all this stuff is going on, you're going to get choked out by the cares of this life. Now, does that mean we don't pay any attention to the things that we're responsible for in this life? Absolutely not. We have responsibilities. And we are obligated to those responsibilities just like we are to God. That's why we have to have a time. So, Paul says, you're carnal, you're worldly, you're like baby Christians. That's why, by the way, he says, you fuss and you fight. You're jealous of each other. You're bitter towards each other. You bicker. You can't get along. Churches are splitting. People are talking ugly about each other. And you're all Christians. He said the reason you do that is because you're a bunch of babies. You're acting just like a bunch of little babies. Spiritually. So, there is a principle of spiritual growth that becomes critical in the life of the believer. And when we don't understand this, Bible study doesn't mean anything. Okay? Three basic principles of spiritual growth. Number one, spiritual truth must be learned. Back to Hebrews chapter 5. Spiritual truth must be learned. What do you mean by that? Look at verse number 8, Hebrews chapter 5. Although he was a son, let's talk about Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience. Now, wait a minute. This is Jesus. 
You mean he had to learn something? Absolutely. As a man, he became a man so he could live like we have to live as human beings so he could be an example. If at any point in his humanity he was exempt from anything we have to face, then he could not have been our sacrifice. He became fully man like us. He had to learn obedience. Well, how did he learn it? He learned obedience from what he suffered. But he had to learn. Spiritual truth has to be learned. Look down at verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to what? Learn. It's not that the truth's not there necessarily. It's not that there are not opportunities. But Bill, you're not learning. You're not learning. What? How do you learn? Knowledge is given. Knowledge is accepted. Knowledge is applied in action. That's how you learn. Knowledge given, if it's not accepted or applied, is not learning. Knowledge given, knowledge accepted, but if it's not applied, that's not learning. Did you ever wonder why somebody like me can go through elementary school, high school, college, and grad school? And they teach English in all those. And yet, I still at 51 years old will sit here and tell you, I ain't never going to talk right. Now, now, do I know that it ain't right to say ain't? Well, of course I do. For all them years, I was told that. Knowledge given. Do I accept that? Sure I do. Am I going to apply it? Probably not. Because I'm a country boy from Tennessee, and that's just how I talk. That's the process of learning. Same thing is true in the spiritual life. We can sit, and by the way, that's why people can sit in a church all their life and never grow spiritually. Knowledge is given. Knowledge may even be accepted. you believe it? Sure I do. Well, have you ever applied it? No. So the learning process stops. Knowledge given, knowledge accepted, but never applied. So the learning process stops. Okay? So spiritual truth has to be learned. Number two, we need a good hold on the basics before we can move on to the mature aspects of spiritual truth. Chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, it says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. We have to get down the basics before we can move on to the others because the basics become the foundation for everything else that we, become, uh, that we learn and we understand. If I don't have a good hold on the basics, I can't understand the other character traits that God tries to build in my life. So that's why the writer here says, you ought to have, already have a good hold on this and be able to help others with the weightier matters of becoming more righteous in your life. But because you know, somebody needs to teach you these all over again. And in a second, we're going to look at what those are, okay? Then, number three, we need teachers and life experience to help us learn. Chapter 5 and verse 8. The Bible says about Jesus, He learned obedience through the things He suffered. He says down later on, He says, when you ought to be a teacher, you need somebody to teach you. You need teachers and you need life experience. Both of those things are tools that God uses to help us grow spiritually. So, basic principle. Spiritual growth is a necessity in the life of every child of God. It has to be learned I have to get a good grasp on the basics before I can move on to the next level. And I need teachers and I need life experience in order for that to happen. 
That's why everything that happens in your life and mine, God has a purpose. He's trying to grow me spiritually. Somewhere, somehow, in this situation I'm in, there is a spiritual growth lesson for me to learn. And that's how we need to look at life. Number two, the basics we need to learn. Hebrews chapter 6, look at verse 1. Now, when the Bible says we need the milk, the basics, here are the basics. Here's what he's talking about. Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. So he says here we need to leave the elementary teaching. We've got to get out of elementary school and get on to high school and college. So then he says, here's what elementary school is. Look at it with me. First, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Foundation number one, Christ. We need to move on from Christ, who He is and what He's done. He is the Son of God in every aspect. He is sinless. He is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And I need Him by faith in my life if I want to have my sins forgiven. So first of all, I have to understand who Christ is, what He's done for me, and how important He is in my life. Number two, I've got to settle my salvation. He says we've got to move on from repentance and faith in God. That's an elementary truth. That's a foundation. You've got to settle that. My friend, if you are not sure you're saved, if I ask you this question, if you died in the next 30 seconds, do you know that you're going to heaven? When your heart stops, do you know you're going to wake up and see the arms and the eyes and the life of Jesus? Do you know that? Nobody can answer that but you. Now, you stand up in front of all these people and say, oh, yeah, I know it, because you're afraid of what people might think. If you really admit, I don't know that. The truth is, if your heart stops in the next 30 seconds, nobody's going to suffer from you not knowing it but you. You've got to settle that. You cannot grow spiritually if you're always worried about whether or not you are really a child of God. So you've got to settle that. Repentance and faith. Number three, he goes on to say, um, and of faith in God. Verse 2, chapter 6. Instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Okay, two more things here. We've got to know who Christ is. Basics. We've got to settle our salvation, repentance and faith. Basics. Number three, we've got to identify and know our purpose in life. That's what baptism and laying on of hands was. I'm going to give you a passage. We're not going to have time to look at it. But in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, this is when the first deacons were ordained. They chose these men. The Bible says the apostles laid their hands on them. What was that? That was a sign of an approval of their purpose. This is what they're for. Here's the practical application to us. I've got to know that I have publicly identified with Christ in baptism. I'm not ashamed of it. And number two, that God has a purpose for my life. I've got to accept that. God has a purpose for my life. That doesn't mean that we necessarily understand everything about that purpose. But we know that God has an ultimate purpose for my life. And that's what I want to do. We call that God's will. That I want to do God's will for my life. Okay? So, then the last thing, number four, the reality and hope of accountability to God. Resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Here's the deal. If I don't really think that one day I'm going to stand before God 
and give an account for my life, then I'm never going to grow spiritually because there's no motivation. I'm not accountable to God. I I can do whatever I want to do. I'm never going to stand before God. By the way, that's called the fear of God. The reality of Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Do you know why sometimes when I don't want to do what's right, I get motivated to do what's right? Because one day I've got to tell God why I didn't do it. And He sees me. He knows it. And I need Him. I need His favor in my life. I need Him. I can't make it without Him. And most important of all, I love Him. I don't want to disappoint Him. These are basics. Who Christ is, that I'm saved, I've identified with Him, and I know He has a purpose for my life, and I know that one day I'm going to give an account for how I live my life. Once... I settle those things. I get the knowledge, I accept it, and I've applied it to my life. I really believe these four things. And these four things govern my life. Once I really believe that, now I'm ready to move on to more deeper things of righteousness. And that's the term that he uses. So that brings us to the third thing. Where do we go from here? Once we've got the basics, where do we go from there? I want you to look with me, um, look at Hebrews 5, and let me show you a phrase here. He says, um, anyone who lives on milk, verse 13, being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Now, what is that? The teaching about righteousness. That's very simply that idea that God every day is trying to make us in our character more and more like Christ. For example, Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you and abuse you. That's Christ-like character. Question, is that normal for us? No. Is that easy for us? No. What kind of Christians exemplify, at least somewhat in their life, that kind of character? Baby Christians? Not usually. Usually it's believers who have gotten through the basics. And now they're moving on to the teaching about righteousness. Living a Christ-like life in this life. You understand? That's the difference. My character starts to become more and more like Christ. I love people more. I'm more patient with people. My faith grows and gets stronger. These are all aspects of spiritual growth and maturity beyond the basics. That's where we all need to be going. Um, Another thing. There are two parts of this spiritual growth. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, describes these two areas of spiritual maturity. John 15 is the passage, we, we often call it the, the uh, vine and the gardener passage. It's where Jesus said, my father is the gardener, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. He that bears fruit, my father prunes him so he can bear more fruit. Those that don't bear fruit, he cuts them off and throws them in the fire, they're burned. 
John 15 and verse 5 is the key to the passage. He says, Remain in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Verse 5. For without me you can do nothing. This speaks to our personal daily walk in relationship with Christ. That's what he's talking about. The word there, remain, it's the Greek word meno. It means to stay in a given state or relationship. In other words, I've got to walk with God every day. Because without Him, I can't do anything. Can I live a Christ-like life toward other people, towards um, people that, are, that don't know Him? Can I do that without His help? Of course not. None of us can. There are two aspects of our spiritual growth. Number one, we grow inwardly. This is the developing of the character of Christ within our own life. A couple of passages, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 says that Christ suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. By the way, how many of you know Romans 8, 28? For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. How many of you know verse 29? Verse 29 defines His purpose. Verse 29 says, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the purpose He's talking about, which is the object of everything that happens in our life in verse 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. That means that everything that happens means I'm going to get rich. That means that everything that happens in my life is sooner or later going to turn around and I'm going to benefit from it. Materially. Positionally. Corporately. Is that what it means? No. It means that everything is working together for my good. By the way, the word good there, the Greek word aphos, it means to the benefit of. It is to my benefit to live my life more and more every day like the character traits of Jesus Christ. So everything that happens in my life is to make me more and more in my character like Christ because that's what's beneficial to me. How did Jesus learn obedience? By the things He suffered. That's why when we're going through difficulty in our life, we can be sure... God has a purpose, and He's going to make sure that I am more like Him when I'm done with this. So hang on. Why can I believe that? Why can I handle it like that? Because I've already settled the basics. What's one of the basics? I've identified with Him, and I realize He has a purpose for my life. So this doesn't bother me as much. If I haven't settled those basics, this terrifies me, and I get mad at God when they happen because I don't understand. Why? I'm a baby Christian. I've never settled the fact that He has a purpose for my life and that's why all these things happen. So what does the writer of Hebrews say? You need to go back and be taught the milk all over again. You've got to get that first or you're never going to be able to learn these other things. But then also, there's outward growth. Now what is that? Outward growth is how my testimony affects other people. There's a lot of things that I have to mature in spiritually that help me personally deal with life every day. But there's another aspect of my life, and that is all the people that I affect 
for the cause of Christ. Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In John 13 and verse 35, Jesus told His disciples, This is how all men will know you're My disciples, because you love one another. Okay, let me ask you something. If you and me don't get along, we talk about each other behind each other's back to other people, does that say, boy, that's a great Christian. I want to grow up and be just like them. Where do they go to church? I need to be involved in their ministry. Or does that say, wherever they go, I don't want to go there. You know why? Because they might find out something about me and start telling everybody. That is spiritual maturity. That's a character flaw. But by the way, we all are tempted to have. And no matter how far we grow spiritually, none of these flaws are ever totally eliminated from possibility. And we need to understand that. As long as you and I have a sin nature, we're capable of anything, regardless of the level of spiritual maturity we ever get to. It's a constant battle. But you see the difference? I have things inwardly I need to spiritually grow in, but I also have some things I need to grow in that affect me outwardly to other people. Every spiritual truth you study in the Bible has one of those two growth mechanisms in mind. And so when we begin to study, we look for those. Okay? Now, let me give you this. Here's some practical questions you can ask. And I'm going to read these to you. We're going to be done. Whenever you're studying the Bible, realize spiritual growth is at work. That's why it's happening. Okay? Make sure you got a good handle on the basics. Then realize where the growth is taking place. It's either inward or outward, but that's what's happening. Every time I read or study the Bible, this is what's going on. This is what God is trying to say to me. It's got something to do with these things. Okay, here's some practical questions you can ask. When you read the passage for the first time, ask three questions. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it matter? What does it say? All men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. What does it mean? It means I need to love others. What does it matter? If I don't do it, people may be chased away from Jesus. Now, if I have settled the basics, that affects me. Because I realize who Christ is. I know that I'm a part of Him through salvation. I know that He's got a purpose for my life. And I know that one day I'm going to give an account to Him for the way I live my life. So I don't want to do anything to chase people away from Him. So now that principle affects me. If I don't care that I'm saved, if I don't care that I'm going to stand before God one day, or I don't realize it, if I don't care that God has a purpose for my life, I just want to do what I want to do, now reading that verse doesn't affect me. I don't see anything. That's why people read the Bible and say, I just don't get anything out of it. That's why. So first of all, first time you read it, what does it say? What does it mean? What does it matter? Number two, is this reinforcing the basics in my life? Maybe you are still struggling, though just a little bit, with some of those four basic things. Maybe this passage of Scripture that you're reading reinforces that. Maybe it reinforces the fact that Christ is the Son of God. 
Now you've got a verse. I and my Father are one. Maybe it reinforces the fact that you have a purpose. Maybe you're reading Jeremiah chapter 1, where God told Jeremiah, before you were ever formed in the womb, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Before he was ever conceived, God had a purpose for his life. Maybe you read that and you realize, God does have a purpose for my life. So is it reinforcing one of the bases? Next, ask this question. Is it teaching me something about the character of Christ? Love your enemies. Pray for those that abuse you. Is it something about the character of Christ that I need to apply to my life inwardly so that I am changing from the inside in my character? Number four, is it directing me in a specific decision I need to make? Am I praying about a decision? Is this a biblical principle that would give me direction about a decision I need to make? Number five, is this speaking to my outward testimony and effectiveness for the Lord? You know, I have been griping and complaining at work about everything that goes on, and everybody knows I'm a Christian. It's destroying my testimony. And you read where Paul said, do all things without griping and complaining. Now, why would that affect me? Because, number one, I've already got the basics down. I believe that. This is affecting my outward testimony. So now I know how to... You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I'm going to memorize that verse. And every time I get tempted to gripe and complain, I'm going to quote that verse to myself in my head. Do all things without griping and complaining. And I'm going to bite my tongue. Do you know what Bible study is all about? Life change. Not life stagnation. Life change. Are any of us exactly 100% and completely like Jesus Christ in our life right now? No. Can we all change? Sure we can. So that's what we're studying for. And then finally, what do I need to do? Joshua 1.8, James 1.22-25, all of these verses talk about the fact that the only way the Bible is ever going to help me in my life is if I do what it says. James says, if you read it, you get the knowledge, you accept it, but you don't do what it says, we're foolish. You're like a person who looks yourself, look at yourself in the mirror, you see what you're like, you turn around and you do nothing about it. That's foolish. So the last question I need to ask myself after I read the Scripture, what has God just taught me and what do I need to do about it? One of the things that I put in the study questions for personal application was this. Um, discuss your understanding of the basics and so forth. But one of the things we talked about was um, when is the last time that you studied the Bible and you got something in your life that caused you to change and you actually changed? Share that with your small group. Talk about the specifics. I was reading my Bible. God gave me this verse. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it matter? I applied it to my life. And you know what? This part of my life is different now than when it was. I can give you three pages of those, and I can tell you what changed in me. I went to Office Depot and said, I've got to quit. God is telling me to go into the ministry. And i got three pages of biblical principles. Why? When is the last time this book actually spoke to your heart 
and made a change in your life. Think about that. Maybe what needs to happen is we just need to put ourselves back in the classroom so I can start learning again. And, and can I tell you this? You don't have to read 44 chapters a day. You know how many words from the Bible it takes to change my life? One. One. If all you did was read one verse a day, memorize it, and take it with you all day long, your life will start changing. I promise. Okay? So, how do I study the Bible and get something out of it? We went through four things. We've got to observe certain basic principles. We've got to meditate on the Scripture. We've got to learn how to properly interpret it. And then we've got to learn how to apply it to our life. When we do those things, this book will change our life. Father, thank You for Your Word, for giving it to us. The fact that it's supernatural and powerful. Give us a hunger and a thirst for it. May Your Holy Spirit be our teacher. Use it to change our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. See you, everybody. Have a good week.